1: My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope, and uh, we got to get right into it because we got a lot to read. (laughs) Um, We're working through 1 Corinthians still, the push and the pull. Um, Quick, quick little tidbit for uh, Dory and Sarah and Izzy. Um, We talked about spiritual gifts. This is it. We're doing it. We're doing it right now. Um, But let's get right into it. We're going to read all of 12 and 13, so we're going to try and read kind of fast, but we'll make it happen. Um, Let's start 12, 1 through 11. It says this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along and worshiping speechless idols. So, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit. Um, I think what is happening here is... Paul recognizes that this is a group of people that, as we've talked about quite a bit, have been previously worshiping pagan gods. They're in Greece, they're in Corinth, right? And so they've been worshiping Greek gods. And so now they know Jesus. Now they know the truth, but now they're like, we don't want to get duped again. How do we know when something is coming from God or not from God? And, and Paul's also recognizing that this can be really confusing because there's a lot of different ways Christianity can look. And he's pointing that out here. He's saying you don't all look the same. He's recognizing that. Look, God has gifted you all, right? You've all got gifts of the Spirit, but they're not all the same gifts, Some people prophesy, some people teach, some people speak in tongues, some people can heal, some people can perform miracles. No matter how it looks, it can still be broken down to you're all the church, right? But he gives them this one simple simple little test. He's like, but I'll make it easy on you just so you don't have to guess whether or not somebody's from God. If somebody curses Jesus, that's not from God. But if somebody says Jesus is Lord, and I want to be clear here, I think what Paul is doing is he's breaking it down to kind of that passage in Scripture that says, you know, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that, he, that God raised him from the dead, right? It's 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 the basic gospel. It's, it's orthodox Christianity. And Paul's saying if somebody adheres to that, if they're not messing up who Jesus is and they're not messing up how they're saved— That's a Christian. And it's that simple. It's that easy. Okay? So let's break it down to those simple terms. He goes on then, right? And he starts talking about the body. Uh, This is 12, 12 through 31. And he says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are slaves. Some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would it be if it had only one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you, gather to, uh, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages or tongues? Do we all have the ability to interpret those tongues? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now
2: let me show you a way of life that is best of all. That's a lot. Let's break it down. Um, We need all you. (laughs) Like, we need
1: all of us, right? The, The body of Christ is made up of many, many unique individuals. And he goes through And he names all these different gifts. He's talking about apostles and teachers and prophets and the discerning and those who receive a word from God and those who heal. And it can look so many different ways. There are so many different pieces and they are all necessary. All of them. That means you're important no matter what your gift is. And so that's the first thing I want you to walk away with today. Every single person in the church is necessary, and you have been placed there because God put you where he wanted you. That's what it said. That's a big deal. We often can can push it off and say, oh, well, the, you know, this thing is more important, or that thing is more important. No, No, you're important. We need everybody. That's the first thing. Here's the other thing. You may be sitting there and you may be going, hey listen, like um, I, I, I've definitely seen some of those gifts. Like I, I, I can kind of resonate with you know one or two of those, whatever. But there's some of those that I, uh, I don't know how I feel about. Or there's some of those that I don't know what that even looks like. I've never even seen that. And I think you're right. There, there's, there's gifts in here that I haven't experienced. I haven't witnessed, right? Like, but here's the thing. I, I, th- I think all this stuff still happens. I do. There, there are groups of Christians called cessationists. They believe that everything supernatural biblically has ceased, thus cessation, right? No more, no more, no more of that stuff. But here's the problem. I don't know exactly where they're reading that in here, because I haven't found that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say anywhere that, that all the supernatural stuff is done. In fact, um, until several years ago, I might have even been able to get on board with that because I've never seen anything like, I've, ne- I've never spoken in tongues, never spoken in tongues. I've never healed anyone through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's never happened to me, to at least to my knowledge, right? But I will tell you this, I had one weird supernatural thing. One, one ever, and we're not getting into crazy details on this, but I had a dream one time, and I woke up from that dream, and I knew it wasn't just a dream. I was like, that was something immediately, okay? And I knew when I woke up, I was supposed to go tell people about Jesus, but I didn't understand the dream. It was very confusing. So you know what I did? I went back, and I really started digging into my Bible Bible for the first time in my life, and you know what I found? that everything in that dream was just already in the Bible. It was just here. God didn't tell me anything new. He didn't give me some special revelation. He didn't give me anything. He gave me one weird little jolt to go, read your Bible, Zach. That was it. But my point is, my point is, after that, I was like, okay, so weird stuff happens. I get it. And I know that, not just because of that, but I've got friends got close friends that I love. They are some of the nicest people ever. They are so loving and caring and good, God-honoring Christians. And you know what? They speak in tongues. Not all the time. And when they do, they make sure there's an interpreter nearby. They, they, they don't do that just in church service. They don't want to disrupt. It's all very biblical the way they talk about it. I just can't quite wrap my head around it because I've never had that. I know missionaries, and you want to know something that happens when you talk to missionaries? They tell you when they've been to third world countries, and they've seen people healed by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That happens. You hear about that all the time. Talk to a missionary. It happens. Okay? I've never seen it. I've never had. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But then why are there churches where that stuff does seem to happen? Well, here's my philosophy. This is Zach. This is the interpretation of Zach. Okay, hear it out. I think like-minded individuals tend to flock with like-minded individuals.
2: I think like-gifted
1: people might tend to flock with similar gifted people. There are 40,000 denominations of Christianity. 40,000. Now your first knee-jerk reaction might go, well, man, we screwed up because it's really easy to think about it that way, right? 40,000 people, but here's the deal. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. We're people. We know we're messed up. That's the whole point of Christianity. 40,000 of us, that's nothing new. The whole thing that unifies at least I would hope a good chunk of that 40,000 people, is orthodox Christianity. Is the matter that Jesus Christ is God, that we need a Savior, that he was that Savior, he is that Savior, and it's through faith in him alone that we are saved. But I think the healthy way of seeing all those denominations is to say, hey, as long as we stand on core Christianity. As long as we got Jesus right, as long as we got salvation right, maybe I
2: should stop and see what, what, what this is they're saying. What this, how, how this is they see things. I saw this video recently
1: uh, by a guy named Redeemed Zoomer. He's on YouTube. And uh, he's kind of funny. But he has a video called The Best Thing About Every Christian Denomination. And he doesn't hit them all, but he hits a lot of them. He starts from the top, and he's like, you want to know the coolest thing about the Baptist church? He says, Baptists put a lot of investment on a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's why they're so adamant about reading the Bible. That's why they're so adamant about studying Scripture. And a lot of Baptists are really good at quoting Scripture. They know it well because they know they need to to have a relationship with Christ. That's also why Baptists don't believe in infant baptism, because they believe that a person should make that decision for themselves. They don't believe a child can make that decision. I might lean kind of Baptist in that. That's okay if you don't. I get it. It's cool. That's just me. Just my thought. But that's kind of cool about Baptists. They like that personal relationship. What about Wesleyans? About the Methodists? The Methodists see us as warriors for Christ. They see that we have got the Holy Spirit in us and that isn't something we're just supposed to hide. We're supposed to get out there and we're supposed to be on mission. We're supposed to let the the Holy Spirit in our hearts flow out into the world around us and to go out and to love people and to go evangelize and to go be there for the lost and the sick and the poor. We're to be there for people. I think I'm kind of Methodist, kind of Wesleyan in that, right? I like that. The Pentecostal church. It's the fastest growing church in America. Did you know that? That gets kind of weird, because then we get into all that supernatural stuff, and we don't know what to do with that. And here's the deal. Let me be very clear. I think we can go off the rails real fast, real fast. It can go into what I like to call charismania pretty quickly, okay? But that doesn't mean it's bad. That does not mean that prophesying and speaking in tongues or, or healing. Those things are all good and biblical. But the thing I love most about the Pentecostal church, do you want to know what it is? It's their emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And not just the Holy Spirit is like some force, some something, it's God. He is the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is God. And they love him so much. And I love that. That's pretty cool. What about Lutheranism or the high church? You know, like there's a lot of different, when I say high church, I mean like those churches where you walk in the room and it's just like, there's just like this vibe, this feeling like marble floors and pillars and beautiful wooden pews. And it's, it's like you experience the awe of God, the holiness of God just by being in the room because the room is designed to make you feel that. And they put a lot of emphasis on ritual and tradition and I know I knock ritual and tradition all the time but not because ritual and tradition are bad because we screw up ritual and tradition. Ritual is good when you're doing it right. Tradition is good when you're using it for the right reasons. They put a lot of emphasis on the sacraments because they see God, the gospel in the sacraments of baptism, communion, And they want to make sure they get it right. That's fear of God. That's reverence of God. And that's beautiful. And that's good. And I could go on and on and on. And there are so many denominations that bring such good things to the table. But often we get tripped up and we draw dividing lines and we just point out what each other are doing wrong rather than focusing on, wait a minute, maybe you're
2: the eye to my ear. Maybe we need each other. Yeah? Let's go on. Chapter 13. Let's just knock the whole thing
1: out, shall we? If I could speak all the languages of earth. Actually, no. I want to give you this. So at the back, let's get rid of that for a second. So, um, my bad. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, we are talking about the, the gifts, right? And, and you may be thinking like, well, I kind of wish I could do that. I wish I could heal people because I've spent so much of my life thinking stuff like that. Like, man, how much would it help people if I could just heal somebody outright through the power of the Holy Spirit in front of a crowd? Like, wouldn't that just make people believe? Or, you know, like, why don't I speak in tongues? Or why, don't, why haven't I received, you know, prophetic word? Why You know, why, why don't, some of those more like supernatural kind of things that I don't see, like, why, don't I, why don't I get those? Or maybe you're thinking, why can't I teach? Why, why, don't, why am I not as good at that or whatever? I don't know, whatever it is for you, whatever gift it is you wonder why you don't have, let me tell you this. And the reason I don't want to read 13 just yet is because it's at the end of 13, and we'll skip to it. But Paul says this. He says, you should wish for the greater gifts, right? He said that at the end of chapter 12. And you may be thinking, oh, he's talking about that list where he said first are the apostles, and then are the prophets, and then are the teachers. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that list at all. He doesn't actually tell us what he's talking about until the very end of chapter 13. And you know what he says are the gifts you should really be worried about? What do you think it is? You think it's speaking in tongues? What should we want? Should we heal people, right?
2: Yeah. No. Faith, hope, and love. And he says, and the greatest of these is love.
1: Love. He breaks the whole thing down to love. That's the gift you should be worried about. You should want to love people better. You should want to love God better. That's what you should be praying for. That's what you should want. That's the greatest gift of all. That is the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's why Paul says, now we can read chapter 13, I'm sorry. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud, or rude, it does not demand its own way, it's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Here we go. Ready for it? Never loses faith, is always hopeful. Do you see that? What were the three great gifts that we should we should want? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And why is love the greatest? Because love is faith and hope. That's what it's all about. And what's he say after that? It always endures. It endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. Pause. This is Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, and he just said most of what he knows is partial and
2: incomplete. That is humble. That is humility. But then I will know everything completely, just as
1: God now knows me completely. And he's talking about when he is in perfection, when he has been made in his fullness with Christ in eternity. And then he says it again, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love.
2: Here's my thing. It should all come down to love. We we all kind of wish we were good at different things, right? And, and,
1: and Paul earlier talking about like the less honored gifts, the, the things we don't think of as the big things. You know, he says sometimes those are the most important things of all. How often does love get overlooked? Like we all say, like, oh, we should just love each other. But how often is that the first reaction we go to? How often is that the thing we really tap into first? How often is is love actually love when we do it? How often is it just self-serving? Does the love you show others match what it says here? Because mine doesn't always.
2: Here's my thing, there's a lot of different people in the body of Christ. And we might want to argue till we're blue in the face with some of them because we just can't see it their way. Or
1: maybe we get really jealous. Maybe we look at them and and, and we wish we had their gifts. We wish we could could be like them in the way they worship or the way they serve God. And right here, Paul's saying, no, no. Say neither of those are the right reaction. He says, if, if you're looking at him and, and you're mad at him because you think you know better, Paul's saying, well, I don't even know everything. Paul's saying, I, I'm flawed. I don't, I don't have a perfect theology. I, I've probably got some things maybe a little twisted up somewhere. Everything I know is only partial. It won't be complete until I'm with Christ. I won't be perfect in my knowledge until then. Why do you think we stand up here and when we preach, we say, check me on that. Check me on that. Go read the Bible. Go find out if I'm right. Randy will say it. Jason will say it. Bob will say it. Matt will say it. Anybody will say it.
2: Because we're people. We're human. People get stuff wrong. So the better way of looking at things
1: is to look across the aisle at the other person and not get not get crappy because you disagree, not get jealous because you wish you had their gifts. Look at them as what they are and look at yourself as what you are. You are a piece of the body that is unique. They are a piece of the body that is unique. And why does it say God gave us the gifts To help each other. Learn from each other. Teach each other. Grow together. Love each other. Guys, we're in a culture war. It's the world versus Christianity. It's always been the world versus God.
2: Nothing's any different. The problem is now we have the internet, so it seems like we see it a lot more. But we're in a culture war.
1: And the problem is when we bicker with other Christians, when we just can't set aside our differences... And don't get me wrong, there's a place to argue. There's a place to, to correct one another. There's a place to talk about things and try and argue thing, or, or iron things out. But at the end of the day, do you know who Jesus is? Do they get Jesus right? Do they get salvation right? Cool, we're on the same team. We need to stand together side by side as brothers and sisters. We need to look at the church down the street, the church downtown, the church around the corner, whatever, and not see them as competition That's our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're working together for a common cause because here's the deal. If we don't love each other,
2: how are we going to love those outside of the body of Christ? Love each other. To live, love, and go like Jesus. Love each other. It's that simple. It's
1: that simple. And we overcomplicate things over
2: and over and over again. But how often is that the answer? The band's going to come back up here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank
1: you for the many gifts that you give us. This this thing takes us all. Um, This body is holistic, Lord, and we thank you for that. Um, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us where you've made us special, where you've made us unique, what giftings you've granted us, Lord, and show us how we can serve those around us, how we can work together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to not only help others, but to to help one another, to to grow together, to learn from each other, to become more holy, to be more like you. Iron sharpens iron. Thank you for the humility of Paul. Pray that we can have that. We can possess it ourselves, Lord. Please just, uh, above all else, let let us pray for love. Let us pray that we can have love, that we can express love, and that when we love, we truly love. That it's not just this, it's not this idea of love, but it's what you call love, Jesus. And the only way we can know that is through your word. So once again, thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice he made for us on the cross. We pray it all in his name. Amen.
0: We're going to take a couple moments and respond to God's word this morning as we consider what it is in our life that God wants to see change. What is God illuminating in your life this morning that needs to change? How do we need to be more like Jesus today? As we consider what God's calling us to do where he's pointed out something in our life that you know this this needs to shift we need to focus on love more we need to take on that humility of that Paul exhibits here in scripture we need to move toward desiring those greater gifts of faith hope and love Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, what is an action that you can take today, this week, to be more like Jesus in your life? What action can you take today?